Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast exploring the subtleties of living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, and here with me and my weekly guests, you can expect curious and brave conversations all centering around what it means to live into the process of awakening to our worth, wholeness, and power. We will talk about personal, collective, and spiritual freedom, riff on sovereign leadership, living in levity, and bridge the mystical with the down-to-earth and practical. There is not much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Goodness, as we are nearing the end of 2020, I have been full on reflecting on the inner work and the outer work that 2020 has brought me personally. And I'm wondering how you're doing. (laughs) How are you feeling? It has been a wild year. It almost feels like the world has been shaken up like a snow globe and we are hopefully starting to see the dust settle. In my personal life, I've been observing how 2020 has been a year that although things in the external world feel really shaken up and really like that snow globe snow is blocking the view to the external world, I really feel a deep sense of clarity. And this is actually something that a lot of people have been, a lot of my clients have been saying to me is that although there is, there is chaos, there is confusion, there is false news and false information that right now it actually feels like our values are clarifying what we want to do with our lives, with our energy are clarifying and how we want to be spending our time, the people we want to be spending our time with is actually clarifying more than ever. I know I have spent the last, what, 11 months of the year investing myself more than ever into deep embodiment work, into energetic healing, into intimacy in my personal relationships and asking myself, what does it look like to be fully living my life as art? And that has no doubt brought up discomfort, um, wanting to be super productive, proving to myself that I don't need to be on the hamster wheel of productivity to bring in the abundance and resources that I need, which has been super fun actually to see how we actually can manifest the reality we want without overworking and over hustling and buying into capitalist paradigms that actually don't serve us. So I have been (laughs) obviously doing some deep work of deprogramming previous beliefs around money, previous beliefs around relationship, previous beliefs around my body, around rest, around what running a business, being a CEO looks like, what being a coach means, because that has certainly shifted and being in the online public space has certainly shifted in the last year. And so if you are someone who is feeling like so much is shifting for you, that your values are clarifying more than ever, that your boundaries are needing boosted and that your sovereignty the self-belonging that you really belong to yourself is something that is amplifying right now. I want to invite you to join my coaching waitlist. I'm taking a waitlist right now for anyone who's looking to get coaching or deeper mentorship in 2021, whether it's in my signature program, Awaken Her Soul, which is all about deconstructing our paradigms and beliefs that are no longer working for us and living a life truer to our authentic essence, or if it's something more like Rising Sovereign, my mastermind that can help you really deepen into your sovereignty and take your ambition to the next level to go higher and deeper at the same time, or if you're wanting one-on-one coaching. 
reach out to me, madisonmorrigan.com backslash reserve and get on my wait list for 2021 coaching. I would so love to have a conversation with you, to chat with you on Zoom and see what you're hoping for and what you're really anchoring in as the lessons that 2020 has taught you and where you're going to bring that in the next year. So let's get in to introducing today's guest on the podcast. Today, I'm in conversation with Tammy Sassone, who is a licensed clinical social worker and embodiment coach. And she says that she really helps women who've tried everything to come home to their bodies, to cultivate joy, surrender shame, and full expression. And all of this has to do with the paradigm of remembering really helping women remember their truth, remember their worth, remember their wholeness before systems, trauma, and manipulation got to them, which if you've been listening, you know is my jam. Tammy's career started as a therapist who supported immigrant and refugee children in healing from trauma using only somatic approaches and no language. This changed everything she learned about evidence-based treatments and psychology in regards to healing trauma and toxic shame. Her intuitive knowing met reality as she watched children heal through safe relationships, primal expression, and co-regulation. Tammy began seeking different answers and continued to dive into understanding the brain, the body, and the nervous system. And we're going to talk about this in so much more depth today. In her journey of stepping out of these structured paradigms and pathology, she began to heal her own trauma, her own childhood wounds, and her own internalized oppression. Tammy began noticing significant shifts in her life, in her body, and in her health when she began the work of integration, embodiment, and emotional release. The deeper she dove into the body, the more she realized that she belonged the more she realized that she was undoing years of capitalism, supremacy, and patriarchy that taught her she was broken and helpless. Tammy now dreams and works towards a world where humanity is first, where all humans feel seen, valued, safe, and held, where division no longer exists and the disease of loneliness ends. Tammy sees all healing as collective liberation. And This episode is so juicy for those who have wondered about coaching versus therapy, which is right for you in which season. Tammy talks about also leaving therapy in this episode and what it looks like to own her full expression through coaching and not therapy. So I'm super excited for this conversation because, well, as you're going to hear in the episode, I was like, yes, 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 everything you're saying is so spot on. But also because as I've been doing my deeper healing work, like I mentioned, the body has been so key. The embodiment, you know, we we go through these stages of healing and sometimes we start with our story and sometimes we start with our body, but eventually those two need to merge. We not only need to work on our mindset, but we also need to get into our bodies and inhabit ourselves consciously fully. And I think Tammy's work feels like just that perfect blend where my work ends and her work begins. It just feels, oh, it was so juicy. So enough of me chatting about it. Let's dive in and hear from Tammy. Tammy, thank you so much for coming on Everything Belongs. After hearing your interview with Kylie, I was physically lit up. Like my entire body was like, this is it. She knows. And so I immediately reached out and was like, please come on everything belongs. So I've already introduced you, but I'm curious how you would introduce yourself and how you would introduce your work. 
Yeah, I'm so honored to be here, first of all. And so I introduce myself. So my name is Tammy Sassone. And right now, I, you know, I am an embodiment coach. I have shed many identities, and it's been a journey to get here. And my work is sort of really about teaching women, I work specifically with women, how to really live the entirety of the human experience, how to take all of the work we do, our healing work, and really integrate it to a really full, expansive life by building foundational consent in the body. Yeah. Well, there's so much there, and I'm wondering your journey building foundational consent with yourself. Could you share a little bit about how, I mean, how you even found that that was the foundational element to a life of fullness? Yeah, so my journey. So I, you know, this is actually the first time and I was reflecting on this. I feel like I was born into something that wasn't right from the beginning um, for my soul born into a religion, a, a you know, a family system where I lived, I always felt like something was wrong. And I was a big, like loud child. And, you know, I was, it was never nurtured. There was three of us, um, you know, emotions were always shoved to the side. There was a lot going on in my home you know, at a very early age, I experienced sexual abuse, um, a lot of emotional neglect, a lot of physical violence. And there was so much about my world that I had to start making sense of from a really young age and figuring out how to survive. And really splitting my personality into who I needed to be in a lot of different environments for safety and really learning how to adapt to survive. And um, the consent piece came in really because my whole life became about shutting down natural process of feeling of questioning of expressing into compliance, into obedience, into really understanding from a very young age that if I wedge my leg behind this toilet and break it, I don't have to go to the home of my abuser. And so everything, and in even doing that, I became very disconnected from pain, very disconnected from any mechanism of of natural kind of, it was complete override of survival. And that was my world. So there was no such thing as consent, checking in. What do I like? What do I feel? Who am I? What, you know, where do I belong? You know, this always whole of like, what is home? And, um, you know, just functioning from a real foundational place of being lost Um, controlling, manipulating, you know, which turned into an eating disorder, which turned into an exercise addiction, and anyway, so on. And, you know, really harmful, toxic relationships, repeating family patterns. So all of that to say is that we're fast forwarding a lot. When I began my healing journey, which started really young, the first time I was in a treatment center was when I was 17. Um, was never honest, could never really give a whole picture. I was still living as though, you know, if I told my truth, I would be murdered. This was the story. This is what I was told. 
and it was woven into my body. So truth telling was a far distant construct. Lying became the way I became safe in the world and completely disconnected from reality. And so all of that to say that I went, I was in therapy and all these things and, and never really revealing. And over time, you know, through doing more trauma therapies, IFS, EMDR, I decided I'm going to become a therapist and I'm going to save myself and I'm going to save children. And I went into become a trauma therapist um, and really devoted, you know, a solid six years, six, seven years to studying the nervous system, the brain. I started my career actually learning nonverbal somatic trauma therapies and working with immigrant and refugee kids who couldn't speak, like we couldn't speak because of the language barrier. And really seeing firsthand that we don't need to speak to heal, that there's so much deeply stored in the body. I was not there yet, but I was providing these therapies. And, you know, it really... I was on a mission, right, to to save children, the savior complex, I'm going to heal the world, all in all, not really moving forward in my process. You know, I got this career, I was doing better, I was in recovery, but I was still so deeply lying, disconnected, unhappy. Um, And as I grew in my career and as I grew in my journey, you know, I started just becoming more aware that I was getting really tired of the patterns of this obsession with pleasing, of not being able to speak when I needed to, of not knowing who I was being, you know, I remember sitting in my apartment when I was living in St. Louis for years with the blinds down, I had such debilitating PTSD, I wouldn't go to the park by myself, you know, I wasn't living. And Anyways, fast forward, I ended up eventually getting into embodiment work. And I transitioned from therapy to coach um, because there was something about being in therapeutic relationship that did not feel safe for me. And I didn't see it at the time, but I physically couldn't be honest with a therapist. It was like I would go to be honest and then I would lie about everything, about that I was out of the unhealthy relationship, that I, you know, all of the things. And I was like, why do I keep doing this? And it wasn't until I started working with an embodiment coach that I realized that I didn't have a foundational consent in my own body to hold my truth, that I couldn't hold my truth. I had no capacity for it. I had been lying since I could talk and so to speak my truth without having any capacity in my system for it was not going to happen. And so this foundational consent piece of this gentle entry into my body, into creating activation, which we'll talk about, into uncovering the layers of protection and resistance and the armies that had built up inside of me to keep me alive, all my resilience, you know, if I think about it, like, wow, um, to really lovingly mother those parts of me, hold those parts of me so that they could disarm, so that I could 
like become me. And, and that's kind of how I, I got here. Um, the transition from talking, from figuring out, from forcing, from controlling into surrendering into the process of being, of consent, of understanding, of listening, of totally of all the experiences that I had been carrying with me. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And it's so resonant to my story as well, spending so many years in the mental side of healing, doing the mental side of learning why do we have these energies? What's happening in the nervous system? And doing the talk, all the talk therapy and talk coaching, and I almost and this might not be true in in your case, but I feel like I hit a tipping point where like all of that mental, mental, mental hit a peak, and there had to be the embodiment for the full the wave to fully come down and for it to be really embodied, and for wholeness to feel like to it for me to go from I know I'm whole. To I feel whole, I live whole, I am whole. Yeah, I love I love that because I think these constructs of wholeness, of worthiness, right? These words we hear of self-trust, you know, and how often we hear women say, I don't trust myself, I feel broken. And they become these constructs that it's almost like on the to-do list to achieve. What yeah. do I need to learn to achieve this, right? And I always say, it's in you. There's nothing to achieve. It's learning how to feel it. Mm-hmm. It's not something external that we can write our way to or talk our way to or read our way to. What are we willing to undo to remember what's innately ours? Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you find that people are um, sometimes frustrated in, in the beginning of practicing this with you in that like, but it's not inside me <laughs> kind of experience. Yeah. We, I actually had my group call last night in my program and, you know, topic that comes up, there's always resistance in the beginning because all of my programs are very heavily run on embodied practices, which is very foreign. And what I always say is that every, every, piece of us, like popcorn that comes up, the frustration, the belief, the, the work always, the practice always, that's what the moment is. And whatever arises, the practice doesn't matter because that's the moment. So can we tend to every layer, except for shame, we'll talk about that, as it arises, to love that layer, to hold and nurture so it will shift instead of force control bypass manipulation which is what we're so used to doing. We can't bulldoze. We cannot bulldoze layers. And so, of course, there's going to be frustration. Of course, there's going to be overwhelm. Can we integrate that? Can we soothe those younger parts of us that are afraid and then move forward gracefully, slowly, with so much compassion? Yeah, what you're saying, I I did an interview with um, Rachel Maddox in episode five. So if anyone's like, this is interesting, that you'll really enjoy that episode as well. And she said something to me personally um, in a conversation we had about sovereignty, because a lot of my work is about sovereignty. And there was this piece of my life I was bringing to the mastermind I was in with Rachel. And I was like, this is working in all these areas, but there's this glitch happening 
in this specific relationship. And I can't, you know, I'm like, and I'm all of the normal things I do to embody sovereignty are like not landing. And she said, self-consent is the foundation of sovereignty. Remember that. And it was like a deep remembering of, I don't have that inner stability and inner safety and inner consent. Um, And, and in this specific relationship, it was difficult to access that because of adaptive patterns in my life that had kept me from my own knowing. So I, I wanted to circle back to that because it seems like the foundational principle of your work is this, you called foundational consent. I'm curious, what is it? How do we feel it? Where, like, can you just break that down for people who maybe aren't familiar with this language? Yeah. So I, I, there's a term that I use, I call it emotional constipation. And this is an important term because many of us report feeling tired, stuck, depleted, frantic. These terms fly around and, you know, um, heavy. And I want to just talk briefly. We carry with us not only our own lived experiences, but up to 14 generations of experience. So that means we have this bag of bricks that is not only ours, but that our mothers, our grandmothers, our great grand all of our lineage. So sometimes women will say, I don't remember sexual abuse, but I feel it. That's why. And we carry it. We know this through epigenetics. There's research that shows that we have this in our, in our DNA. It makes sense we're exhausted. It makes sense we're in survival mode. It makes sense. So when we have a body that is full to capacity of tar, I call this tar, shame, without a mechanism to start releasing it in the body, new information in therapy, and we can't integrate new information because the space of the body is completely marinated with shame. It's marinated with trauma. And so the way that I teach foundational consent is through, firstly, learning a mechanism to release what we're holding through sound, through breath, through primal movement, through pleasure. And and then, so understanding that we have to release to bring in. And then the second piece is as we're creating space, we're building capacity for more. And so the foundational consent, right, becomes the capacity we create to hold the entire experience of what we're releasing and what we're bringing in. Because in an over, like in a system that is in such overdrive, there's no space. It's all about survival. And so Can we learn as resistance rises to be with it and release it as our army of protectors? I call, we all have our own army, right? Can we bring them up to release? And then as we're releasing, we create capacity for joy, for pain, for activation, for trigger, for sadness. And so it's this dual process I refer to. And that's how we start to build this consent to come in by releasing, integrating, releasing, integrating in a very slow, gentle process. And then we start to feel this level of groundedness. I almost describe it as like this state of, that feels really foreign at first, of like some, you know, 
dull, numb, balanced, empty, right? We start to find this homeostasis where women are like, I feel depressed. What's going on? There's nothing going on. Like there's no chaos, right? Where we start to feel like, wow, there's space. And then this is the foundational consent where we're like, okay, like this is the balance. This is my regulation. And for all of us, it's going to be very different. And we, it's, it's something I can't even verbally describe because it's really a felt experience that starts to happen. And then it's like, this feels unshakable. Like no matter what happens, there's this foundation here. It feels like this, um, what's coming to mind is I've been unpacking some things in the last couple of weeks because of dreams that have come up that I've been like, oh, some clarity around some, some, I'm going to say past life. I mean, past life in this life, past life experiences from 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And what I'm realizing is that I lived in a narcissistic, abusive, chaotic environment only then to go into that same sort of narcissistic evangelical environment where, you know, a lot of pastors are narcissists and then that, that loop and then to go into it in self-help because it exists there too. And so thinking I'm leaving one negative space to find the love and light space, to find healing space only then to bring the chaos with me. Cause I was attuned to that vibration, to that experience. Wow. And even realizing that there was a, the felt sense of peace for me only came when there was outer chaos. So super interesting to find that after doing some of this nervous system work, the, the capacity for inner peace is expanding. And also there's a sense, a felt sense of this is boring. This isn't, this isn't as exciting as whenever I was living in that stressful state. And I'm wondering um, you posted something about this recently about addiction to the identity versus the addiction to the state. Uh-huh. And I was curious if you could um, speak to that because my experience with it is that there, there has to be a refinding what homeostasis is and learning what healthy activation feels like uh-huh. without it being um, unconscious, an unconscious pattern. So I'm, I'm using my life as an example because we're using some words that people might not know what they mean. Yeah, <laughs> so can you break? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Please break it down for us. Yes. Okay. This is, I love this. So we, the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. And I'm going to explain why whatever fires together, wires together in the brain. And what that means is that when we walk, we don't think right foot, left foot. When we're, when we're listening to something, we don't think right ear turn on, left ear turn on. Um, the body creates neural pathways that become patterns. And so this applies to trauma. This applies to repeated patterns of violation of the body. This, this applies to everything. So we will recreate dynamics everywhere we go because our brain is wired to do that. And so anything outside of that dynamic is going to feel like you're dying. Is You're not going to feel like you can relate to it. And so there's a brain patterning that happens. And so when we're so quick to blame ourselves instead of realizing the ways in which we've been conditioned. 
So there's so many things that fall under this racism, patriarchy, it's embedded in our brains and therefore in our bodies. And it's not a conscious process. And then we subconsciously reinforce it because we don't know how to not do it. And so it's like, I left one abusive relationship to the next, or all of my friends are abusive. Well, it makes sense considering that's how you've been programmed. And so not only do we have to release, as we learn to release in the body, we repattern the brain. So we know now that there's neuroplasticity. What that means is that whatever we learned can be unlearned by starving the pathway, which means when I, and I use the term fight for the moment. So when we are taken over by shame or pattern or a trauma story, to fight for the moment means the only response is to get into the body, to feel your feet in the ground, to take a big sigh, cold water. Five senses are always the entry point in. Give yourself pressure. We don't want to feed the story. And we do that by fighting to be in the body. And the more we do this, the more we create new pathways. And when we start, I I call it starving a pathway because inevitably it will die. We're not giving it gas anymore. And now we're feeding and creating new, more adaptive pathways. And that's why it's like change is hard to explain because it's this process, right? And then the body comes along for the ride because we're in consent, We're not overriding the body anymore, just trying to do it in the brain. We're integrating the whole way. And when we speak about activation, for so many of us, we associate activation with rage, with this trigger that feels like we're going to die, with, you know, overwhelmed dissociation, dysregulation. And I hear so these two terms flying around all the time. I feel unsafe. I feel dysregulated. And we use these terms like they're nothing because we don't have other descriptive terms. It's like as soon as activation arises, that's it. Like instead of feeling activation, and again, this is very, very complex, especially if we've had any kind of violation of the body. As soon as we feel activation, we're going to want to run. And so when we feel activation, Can we gently learn and lean into soothing? Not necessarily diving into the sensation, but where can we learn to soothe? To almost like gently and lovingly rub our arms and our belly and nourish in those moments. And there's a big difference between past activation and present activation. And essentially, until we have released these patterning, because they're deep, right? And they are embedded. Every present day activation, which is why when we fight with a friend or a partner or our mom, it's like, well, when I was a child, like we're always bringing it in always. It's because we don't yet know how to relate to the world from now. And, and every interaction we have, we're trying to heal the past. And so it's like, we can't be free because we're always dragging it with us. And learn and healthy activation. We like I I'm activated all the time. Like I love the taste of the creamer in my coffee and the breeze on my face. And anger is beautiful to me now. And getting rightfully mad about things that, but it's learning that 
activation now does not need to consistently be met with the historical activation and learning with support to unpair the two to release what's historical frees us to live fully activated. You know, the aggressive woman, the, you know, all the, the intimidation, all of these things that we have claimed are dangerous. We can't do number one. We don't have context yet. We have no evidence for holding these in a healthy way. And part two to that is we have to recreate new beliefs and new embodied experiences of all of the things that have become unsafe to rewrite a new story. That's so good. And I I love that you brought in the pairing of the belief and the new story because my experience leaving evangelicalism, I saw just how powerful belief was. And the fact that what we believe is what we live from and therefore we create pattern patterning and embodied knowing through a belief system and i it, to me they go both ways you create a new belief you live into it you move in a new way you create a new belief right and so to to reference my relationship with narcissists i'm realizing you actually said starve the pathway and that's my practice right now starve yes. the narcissistic feed right And that for me is on every level. I'm seeing just how in politics, in social media, the way people who DMs me, what they say, all of this is, uh, Oh, if, if I can look another way and just say like, actually, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to respond and how my body is like, but you're going to die if you don't respond. And you're, you know, it's literally, um, the, the belief is, I'm not beholden to other people's expectations of me. The embodiment of that is starving the pathway. And the, the moving into it is so deeply uncomfortable. No matter what the belief is, I find it to be the new embodiment to be um, awkward and in not, in not practice and kind of like figuring out how to do something new with your body. Like if you've ever been to a yoga class and you actually like can't hold the pose, at all. My, yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend's a, a yoga therapist, which is, uh, I don't know if she would make this connection verbally, but it's essentially somatic practitioner through the yoga tradition yeah. and watching just like, Oh, move your hip this way as you're doing this pose. And then all of a sudden my legs are like, well, I can't hold the pose at all because there's been an adaptive strategy in the body for years. But I'm like, but look, I can do the pose, but look, I can put my leg up here, but it's all with compensation. It's all through a false pattern. I uh, thought that I was going to make a career out of acrobatics for a while. And I trained flexibility and a press handstand. I had so much trauma in my back and neck, no matter how much I tried to force it. I couldn't get compression. I couldn't get a back handspring. And I didn't understand at the time. And a, a very dear friend of mine said this to me the other day, and I was like, wow, this relates to all healing. Flexibility and the ability to do these harder things is not so much about all the forceful stretching. Yes, for some people, but for many, it's about how deeply Will your body be able to relax and consent of what you're asking it for you to achieve that? And I was like, wow. And how this manifests physically for us as well. And, you know, to bring it back to what you asked before, I, I, 
about why it feels boring and weird and all of these things. You know, so many of us get to this place where we get there, but then we don't know what to do. So we go back, but then we go back and it feels so bad, but we don't know what to do here because it's weird. It's like we almost feel loopy, disembodied, like overly calm. We think we're depressed and it's learning how to be in a new state. And I think this is some, this is a, a place of the healing journey that's not often talked about, that it's we're, we actually let an identity die. So we're even holding a lot of grief here of like, I don't know how to relate. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be. And, but also there's something so beautifully exciting about you can do anything with this space. And where can we give ourselves grace and time to be there without rushing, without, you know, and really learning to be in the space? And there's no real answer. There's no real, it's other than, and it's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable to starve a pathway because initially the ego, the pathway gets really loud before it dies. That's why I often, I think we have these almost healing regressions in a sense, right before a massive breakthrough, it feels like a regression because the voices are so loud and we're like, did I do any work? But then all of a sudden we like enter a new layer and we're like, huh, okay, something new to explore. And it's just doing this dance of like fully surrendering to the process versus trying to create something that's not there. So we're undoing paradigms of force and control. I love that you bring up force and control because I noticed that in my program, Awaken Her Soul, um, the first month is very much about looking at the past and looking at the adaptive strategies, looking at the patterns that aren't working. And week four, there's this shift into who are you actually, though? Yeah. And uh, the, the bridge from week four to week five, there's a rest week. A lot of people choose not to move into who they are at the time that we're going through the program live. A lot of people are like, but I need to keep digging. I'm not done. I'm not done excavating. And something I have to keep reminding people as they move through is one healing happens in layers, whatever is the most obvious thing presenting itself to you right now, even if it's not the deep thing you thought you wanted to heal or work on is the thing because it's actually a part of creating the new pathway. If, if it's more simple or the essentially like the digging isn't actually helping go with the path of least resistance. But what I notice is this, this bridge to your essence, this bridge to who you really are is more scary than digging in the shadows. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. I remember being in that place. Like, what is this? Who am I going to like paralyzed almost? And we, there has to be an honoring, you know, I was actually talking to a client about this this morning, even a ceremony around thanking that version, loving, like not just rejecting, like where can we really truly embody the letting go, the honoring, the thanking to move into something new. And essentially we're asking people to jump into like what feels like a black hole with no evidence. 
And there's, I don't know, it's so deeply ingrained in us to keep digging, 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 looking, because somewhere along the way, there's this narrative that we don't heal unless we're consistently, you know, joy is a bypass. All of these things are, it's like this martyrdom thing where it's like, and really, again, you said it beautifully, it's this clinging to the safety of survival versus trusting that we can live that we can take care of ourselves, that we can become mother, right? That we can actually mother ourselves. And this bleeds into so many things like who our friends become, how we date, how we relate to our families, how we relate to our careers from a place of sovereignty, a place of choice, a place of, you know, the way that I define power in my work is truth. So from a place of power, and an embodied knowing. And when I ask kind of the question of like, I ask this a lot. And I remember when I was asked this, how do you define trust? There's so many things that are like a knowing that I've got myself or, you know, but an embodied experience of trust really is just this open, relaxed, deep surrender. And, you know, it's not a, it's, it's a feeling of, and, and we can only cultivate that by building the muscle and knowing that we're going to make a lot of mistakes and we're messy and we're going to get it wrong. And that letting that be okay too, that in this process of becoming something new, it's going to look so messy forever. Like it never doesn't. And can we let that be okay without shame that this embodying who we are, owning her, doesn't mean this perfect identity. doesn't mean we can't take with us what we liked about the older version. It doesn't mean that we're losing our, like um, this, you know, we can define what this feels like and looks like and what we want to take with us and how we want to create this ending. And we can make it something really, again, without bulldozing the fear. And how can we take this fear and really integrate it and work with it and nurture it to become a freedom? Mm. There, there are two things I'm going to talk about here. Once this, uh, maybe even plateau of like, I'm feeling that that space before who I'm becoming, that's different than the patterning. And on one hand, there, there's still old patterns of shame that want to come up. And on the other hand, how do I cultivate a blueprint of healthy activation? So I, I'm curious, twofold here, starting with um, dealing with shame, because mm-hmm. you, you nodded to shame earlier. Wow. As well, and I will say, I was in a conversation with Becca Piastrelli around topics of race where people were saying, and some educators were saying, there's healthy shame. And I was sharing with Becca that I disagreed, that I think guilt and shame are different. And the way I've seen shame used is debilitating and it's a rejection of authentic self. Whereas guilt to me, and this is my personal view, is what I did doesn't align with my authentic self. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how um, how you move shame and how you teach your clients to experience shame in a new way. Yeah. So I, I refer to shame as the oppressive voice. So we all have a shame narrative, you know, 
and I still experience shame, right? It's like this, this forever journey of releasing the oppressor from micro to macro systems, right? And I don't, I've never seen healthy shame. The voice of shame is oppressive and it is designed to keep us small. And when we start to speak our shame, we start to realize whose voice it is. Is this my abuser? Is this, you know, for me, I came from a Jewish religion. Is it my church? Is it, you know, my parent? Is it patriarchy? Is it white supremacy? You know, as we begin to deconstruct the layers. And so shame is an oppressive voice, period. That's how I have lived it. And I don't believe any feeling that is not originated within us, I don't believe has to be integrated. It's a waste of our time. We all know that we've tried to battle shame with thought, and it's just more shame. It is not a valuable way of managing shame, period. So the way I teach releasing shame is whenever shame comes into the body, comes into the mind, which then becomes a physical experience. So for me, I start to get sweaty. My ears start ringing. It's very, very visceral. Um, I'm agitated. I'm frantic. I, I don't, I don't touch the work. I just do everything I can, even if it takes a week to get back into my body. I up my belly breathing. I up my gentle movements, time in nature, like a cold shower, even, um, anything to drop me back into my body. And the second piece, piece to that is speaking my shame. So like getting it out of my body to somebody safe, not that they need to respond, but getting it out, writing it out, primal screaming. We need, I feel like shame is the way in which oppressive systems, micro to macro, actually enter our bodies. And that's how we replay the systems. And then that's how we become complicit. So if we are not actively fighting to detox the oppressive voice in us from, our, from a somatic, like embodied way, it's not going anywhere. So that is not the same thing to me as feeling it. My goal in teaching shame and releasing it is getting it out as quickly as possible so that I can get to what's underneath it. And, you know, shame is not healthy, active. There's nothing constructive about shame other than learning the oppressors in our lives, really. If we could sit shame across from us at a table and hear these are all the oppressive systems that we live within. You know, as a woman, you have rolls on your stomach. That's ugly, you know, all the way to like all these embodied ways we carry racism to white supremacy, to grind culture, to the fact that I still can't nap no matter how much work I've done on my nervous system, right? This is a forever process of detoxing. Yeah. I'm so grateful you realize this, like that you're bringing this forward because this, I have this realization last year, whenever I was really diving into uh, probably the second year that I felt I had capacity and truly, I mean, I had capacity to start really looking at race in my relationship with white supremacy and how I'd internalized racism. And because prior to that, I knew it was work I should be doing, but like my capacity for these conversations were just, they were all about perfectionism and they were all about how I was going to look, I was doing it wrong. I was upsetting people. It was still very in this, in that place. So over the last three years, I've been really looking at it. And last year was the first year I I was able to realize that the majority of my work is helping women with shame, even though I'm not actively talking about shame all the time, that's what I'm doing. And 
I realized that helping women process their shame in a way that allows them to remember their power and that they're not the shame is a portal to doing anti-racist work. It isn't, you know, the deep anti-racist work, but we can't even often approach that conversation or look at oppressive systems when we're still living in the oppression of shame ourselves. Yep. So it, it totally, um, allowed me to continue showing up knowing I'm going to fuck up sometimes yeah. Once I've done my own shame work and I'm living in my own wholeness, but also because even though I'm not centering that in every conversation, which isn't one, my expertise or my, as a white woman, what I really want and should be doing, right. but it helped me realize that owning this lane is supporting other people to be able to eventually get to those topics that mm-hmm. feel like you, you, to use your words, like you're going to die to yeah. go near them because shame feels like that. Yeah. And all the ways in which we've learned to belong to these systems was to be obedient in sh- like it's, it's the shame is the ruler in our head to be obedient and any system we live under, be it racism, misogyny, patriarchy, Catholic, all of these things, the way it lives in us is our shame story. And so any work of embodiment of learning to release shame, to remember truth, power, our sovereignty, coming back into that love, right, space, that's the work of, of releasing systems. So it's, it has to start individually. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it can't be urgent because it is deep, deep and learning to build a forever practice around this of knowing that we're going to fuck up and it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable. Healthy activation, discomfort is healthy activation. Mm-hmm. It's this way in which the body is communicating to us that something is, is off or that something like even, you know, discomfort comes in when we're stepping into something new and good and when we're stepping into something new and bad. And I often ask women to like, pay attention to the differences in that discomfort and where they're coming from, where that what's, if it's rooted in shame or if it's just rooted in fear and feeling that activation, no matter what it is of discomfort, being with it to really gain awareness around what that is to release it, to then move to the next layer. Mm. And discomfort is the way in which we get to check in with ourselves like, am I just afraid or is this a pattern? And, and learning the difference in the nuances of the sensations and where is it in my throat or my belly? And really spending time in these spaces of activation, of learning our own bodies, our own reactions, our own patterns that we can't learn in a book, that we can't learn outside. And when these things arise, it's activation. Can we not make this scary and bad? Can we know that we can just hold it, slowly building practice, right? How do we do this? There's, you know, that's a whole other story, but having practice as ways to go in and be able to nurture that, to really start learning discernment even. Mm, Yeah, discernment to me is a foundational element of self-trust and sovereignty. Like even boundaries, it's you, you really can only have rigid external boundaries without a deep sense of discernment because it's, it's following in. That's fine. Honestly, like that's a a part of the process is sometimes setting up those external boundaries so that you can start to hear yourself But those rigid 
boundaries aren't the end goal. And so, and, and it's so funny. I was, um, and we also often so talk about external boundaries and we rarely pre-qualify them with internal boundaries. And Mm -hmm. we're so, so often we're just focused on setting the boundary here and here. And as we consistently fail in external boundaries, right. (laughs) For a forever process, I always come back to where am I leaking internally? Because I can't fail in my external boundaries if I'm not leaking in my, and this is a forever dance with me, right? Like boundaries are something I am forever working on. And, um, but the more, you know, and I teach this, the more I can consistently devote daily. I teach daily practices, daily devotions. I'm learning how to keep internal boundaries. And when I can learn to keep these small promises and devotions to me, my external boundary becomes easier. When I can learn to be in devotion and hear the sound of my voice and and come into my internal boundary that I can tolerate that, I can speak my truth more freely. So my internal boundaries around even little things like how much sleep I would love to get or how much time I'm spending on social, these are all internal boundaries and my own contracts with myself. How much energy I'm giving to work versus my off time for nourishment. And anytime I start to leak, I'm leaking everywhere. And so it's always the dance of what is my own internal construct for what I need at any given moment, knowing that they are so fluid, like my cycle, my boundaries become a lot more fierce and traveling now, my boundaries are a lot more fierce. And and so how can I be in this forever dance of checking in with my body of what I have capacity for? always to then be be able to relate externally to the world in a boundaried way. And because what so many of us never learned as kids in abusive homes or non-attuned homes, we never learned how to have internal boundaries, how to self-soothe. And so I am as fine that it's like the prerequisite to being able to set the external boundaries. Which yeah. is so funny because it's not taught that way. Nope. At all. I mean, I... I'm only just now in the last year and a half starting to see people talk about this. And I'm sure that they did, but I didn't have access to that information. Boundaries were always external right. in my life and even in the way that I taught them because that was, it, it worked to a point. And then it was, oh, there's something in me. I, I have the boundary, but the anxiety is still there. Interesting. That's, a, that's right. me. Right. That's me. Yeah. And so, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's just important because it's like we think that if we fix everything on the outside, like if I get out of this relationship, and of course this doesn't account for abuse, but for women even struggling to get out of abusive relationships or, you know, if I just have these, these boundaries with my family, but without understanding what we even need, our, our boundaries can't hold. So they, again, they need a body to land in. Or they're a template of someone else's boundaries based on their needs and their wants that we're replicating. But, and again, that's um, not wrong, but it only works to a point. I have one more question for you around um, your business, because I've seen you talk about how this embodiment work just accelerated your business. And (laughs) I'm not a business coach, but I coach a lot of women around their businesses and it has nothing to do with strategy and a lot of people don't believe me (laughs) and so I'm wondering 
this this transformation in the last year around embodiment in your business, if you could just fill us in on what's possible. Totally. So firstly, I I believe that there's not one path, right? Many people have built successful empires off strategy. I have no idea how. That was not my journey. I was 40,000 in debt on strategy with zero return. I probably hit the lowest bottom of my life running Facebook ads, every business coach. I can't even believe all of chasing people through DM. Essentially, I was just chasing my worth because I hadn't embodied it yet. And, And I speak about this because I was a wealth of knowledge. My background, I used therapy to thinking that that would make me more of an expert. All of the titles I hid behind, right? And until I started embodying what I was trying to teach, it was like overnight, everything changed and it was rapid. And so it was like when I, when I stopped doing all of the strategy and started living internally, non-negotiable daily devotions, really embodying and living into worth and care and love as non-manipulation, not manipulating in sales and all of the things that happen. And this is a forever process. My business took off and I have zero, zero explanation other than something drastically shifted inside. I don't think that I have used any quote strategy in terms of ads, big marketing, reaching out, any of those things. And in literally three months, I climbed out of debt. I'm fully financially independent. I am on a journey. Like my whole life changed and it was fast. Yeah. This is so exciting to me. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm extremely strategic as a person. I I would say from like, I'm very right and left brain. I'm highly creative, but that creativity is often strategic. So like a strategic, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a mad scientist in a way. (laughs) People are like, how did you build your business? And I'm like, I'm obsessive and really intense. That's how, Um, but I, I love strategy, but I, and I wrote a whole article about this. I'll link in the show notes about finding all these strategies and then finding them to be tools of the oppressor right? and having to, and they worked because also I think I'm strategic. And so I really got them. It wasn't me trying to find someone else's way. Like I really understood why these strategies work and they worked for me, except I hated what I was building in that process and had to deconstruct all of it and embody a new way. And I've seen in the last six months, your business and your journey, and it is, it is a felt energetic difference. Like it is palpable. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the biggest shift, if I, it was that I got out of here and I stopped using my knowledge concept and quote what I was trained as an expert, which we did not dive into this in the call as therapist, but yes. Um, I started embodying it, which is what I was trying to teach. And it was so out of integrity. Like I couldn't even hold space for what I can now because I had no capacity. And I realized like it wasn't because like I blamed myself. I can't tell you like I, it was probably some of the deepest pain of my life to want something so bad and have no idea how to get there. Even though I intellectually knew like this was my jam living it is a whole other story. And when I started actually practicing what I was preaching and started doing the work, 
everything changed. Everything. Yeah. It's to me, it's felt, I can go to someone's Instagram and I can watch their stories and I just know if it's real or not. And I, I don't mean that from a place of judgment, but there is a, there is an energetic sense of when even watching friends or clients and in my own journey, the, the energetics and the body knowing when it resonates, when it's real, when it's, when this person doesn't just know, but they're living because that's really with a, a coach or a therapist or facilitator, you're sharing their nervous system as a part of your regulation. And so if you're, if that person holding space for you is actually anxious, but just like barely holding their threads together, but they're really smart. It's not a diminishment of how brilliant they are or even how brilliant I have been when I'm holding space from a really anxious place, but it's, it's not the same thing as feeling deeply anchored and deeply embodied in all of your practices. Right. And I think I, I really want to emphasize this point, you know, and because I also work with many new coaches. And it's like we we use these kinds of conversations, like everything happened overnight. It felt so easy. And I want to pre and I don't believe that I have to pre-qualify my joy or my success, but I, I think I really want to pre-qualify for specifically this, that it's it's not your fault that you keep picking the same partners, that business is failing, that all of, we replay until we know better. And as we listen to these things and start to feel this jealousy and this envy, and we start to assign pain stories because we all do it at some point and it's okay. Can you be with this activation and go deeper and ask yourself, what might be something that's missing for you? A missing, not missing externally, a disconnect internally. And can you go into that place with curiosity? Because you are us, we are you, there is no divide, and it's possible for all of us. And, you know, something that also kept me so stuck was this comparison, the constant jealousy, like it was poison. And it's really, you know, and I say this a lot, who are you working with? Who's teaching you? Who's holding you? And the more we can gravitate to the activation, to what we want, those are the people that can actually hold space for the evolution, not fix you, not change you. But I really picked, you know, and not even just coaches who were not embodied, coaches who were all wounded masculine, because that's what I knew, really like strategy, strategy, strategy. And it's okay. They're great people wasn't aligning. And so where can we just gently make loving detours to further embody what's right for us and not use it as fuel? I love this shift to compassionate self-responsibility that you just made. Yes. Because often there's a desire to self-blame with responsibility or blame that coach didn't, I paid $40,000 and it didn't give me what I want. But what I didn't hear and what you just said was blaming them for not providing. It was not a match. Nope. And I made those decisions and I have to live with that. And I learned, um, Mm. and it got me here and it sucked, you know, but ultimately it was me who had to go in and really make harder choices about who I was working with, who I wanted in my energy field, you know, enough was enough. And that's what happened. And so I never believed in a million years that get rid of the external stuff, right? 
that I'm on this trip and, and I have incredible clients and all of these things, if I take that away, there is a foundational grounding, like this peace and joy that I have constant access to that I never knew was possible. Yes, there are times where I'm in shame spirals and all of these things, but the the work of consistently showing up to my body, of creating consent, has allowed that no matter what's happening in my life, there's a grounding, and that is what changed everything for me. Not it, it was all internal. Nothing external about my life had changed. It was a complete internal shift. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And there, there was a whole probably part two conversation around leaving the title of therapist and what that meant for your identity that we didn't get into today. I'm curious if there's any like final statements you want to make about that. Yeah. You could wrap up in a bow. Totally. And I always like to pre-qualify this with therapy is an extremely valuable resource. I do not speak bad about therapy. So Mm -hmm. it's beautiful. And there are layers of our healing where we need, like there was a point where I really needed therapy to keep me alive. And my choice to leave and what I think is a big sort of disconnect in psychotherapy, and I'll leave it with this. And I'm actually going to be offering a program starting in September for therapists. We as therapists are not taught the depth of humanity and integration. There are somatic therapists. And again, this is not broad claims because there are incredible therapists doing this work. But for many, we don't do our own work of integration. And so we can offer, you know, if we're doing trauma intervention, but we don't understand how to teach foundational healing and how to be in the body, how can I do EMDR? I don't know how to hold, have capacity to hold the feeling. And so there's a foundational capacity piece, an all intervention that has to be present that we can hold so that we can give. And, you know, I believe, and I was doing this as therapy, there's many reasons why, which we can't unpack here. But as therapy, as psychotherapy as an institution, if we could make these shifts to stop pathologizing, to stop pathologizing everyone in front of us, to get off our expertise pedestals, to be human in relationship with the people sitting across from us, I think we would see significant changes that safety is actually created in humanity, not in becoming a non-human. And where can we more embody our processes of humanity to show up for people and before people, ourselves? And, Thank you. And I have to leave. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> keep, finish, finish. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> and I have to leave. You know, I felt suffocated, and there was I. I was consistently having to choose between my humanity and my label, and ethically, I couldn't continue serving under psychotherapy in the work I was doing, and I had to make a really big choice. And it doesn't mean that therapists can't embody this in different ways of clinical intervention, but it did. I couldn't stand behind clinical and patholo- intervention and pathology anymore. It, mm-hmm. and I couldn't do it. It just felt so wrong. And so all of that to say is that there's so much possibility for that, that field. But again, it, it all comes back to how willing are we as healers to embody our own humanity and to ruffle the feathers and take up more space and be more seen because only in doing that can we give other people permission to do it in front of us. 
I so deeply honor your integrity with yourself on that path and knowing that it's probably not going to be the right path for everyone, but it was the right path for you totally. and your integrity is just so beautiful. Thank so beautiful. You. Well, Tammy, I have some rapid fire for you. Yeah, let's and I would love <laughs> to see how it lands. You, you nodded to this, but I'm curious what your spiritual background is. Huh. I, so my spiritual, I'm forever on this journey. I really kind of left Judaism, which was my religion. And I really identify with nature. Like I feel so deeply connected to mother earth, to water, to just this connection there, that vast, like fierce power that lives in me. Yeah. How do you know when you know? Everything in my body feels open, like instant. Hmm. What identities have you had have you let go of to own your fullness today? Savior, martyr, people pleaser, uh, <laughs> good girl, <laughs> quiet, all of those things. Quiet. I had, I never would have known. Oh my God. Yes. Wow. Okay. I speak. I had this lump in my throat for years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I never would have expected that. Yeah. What are you most enjoying learning right now? I am really learning about uh, white supremacy and like really diving into it in a really embodied way. And I'm, it's very in the best way activating for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also in my personal life, I'm just going to add that I can really deeply take care of myself permanently traveling right now in a very, very real way. (laughs) That's, that's a big, yeah. To have the capacity for that. It's amazing. What does grace mean to you? Ease. It means softness, compassion. Hmm. What is your coffee shop order? Coconut vanilla latte. Coconut milk vanilla latte. <laughs> hot or cold? Hot. 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 Love it. And final question is, uh, what do you want? What do you want? Just more spaciousness, more love, more wonder, more play, more ease, more peace. Where can people find you if they're curious about your work and just the continued learning and just being in your energy, purchasing from you, all the things? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Tammy Sassone underscore or my website, which has been in forever evolution. It it will be coming out soon at TammyAmanda.com, which will be switched to TammySassone.com as I'm in this transition of releasing therapist identity. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. This conversation is so needed. Your work is so needed. And I, what I appreciate more than anything is when someone can take all of these beautiful, brilliant intellectual concepts and make them so human and so down to earth and accessible that it's, you don't have to get a master's degree or a doctorate to understand how to be in your body. You are a body. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there, it's a lot more simple than we're led to believe. Not easy, but more simple. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. 
And before you go, I want to tell you about Everything Belongs, the membership. For only $17 a month, join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, get a monthly journaling PDF, and members-only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on Everything Belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.